morning. So good to see you. We are uh, starting a new series this year, actually on Sunday morning and Sunday night. We are starting a series called Jesus Is on Sunday morning, where we're trying to fill in the blank with uh, a different attribute of Jesus every Sunday morning. We don't have a devotional book this year, quite frankly, because I couldn't find one that I felt like we could use. So we're doing this series on Sunday morning. Sunday night, we're looking at I am and filling in the blank. I can't tell you how many times people have, have come up to me and talked to me about, you know, I wish I could retain better what it is that you've talked about. And, I, you know, I've had several times where people come up to me and say, Chris, you know, you should, you should preach on such and such sometime like I did last week, you know. <laughs> so the idea is Sunday morning, Jesus is fill in the blank. Sunday night, I am fill in the blank. And here's how it works. Sunday morning, this morning, Jesus is loved. Tonight, I am loved. So you get the idea. Hopefully, this will set us forth on the week to where we can retain what we've learned and hopefully put it into practice. This section, and every section will have a title as well. And so this section is Jesus is my example. And so we're looking at attributes that form an example for us. And hopefully, this will be helpful to us going forward. Um, I was reading a story the other day about a gentleman who was driving in his car down a country road, and he's going about 50 miles an hour, and he looks over and he sees a chicken that's running ahead of his car. He was amazed, so he speeds up to like 60 miles an hour, and the chicken's still outrunning his car. He speeds up to 70 miles an hour, and the chicken is still outrunning his car. Then it makes a hard right and goes over to a farm and hides behind a coop. And so the, the man pulls over, and he walks up, and there's a farmer, and he says, hey, you realize what you've got here? I mean, this chicken was outrunning me. I was going 70 miles an hour in my car, and it was going faster than me. And the farmer says, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a three-legged chicken. And the man says, really? And he said, yeah, my family really likes the drumsticks. So we started breeding three-legged chickens. And the man says, really? I mean, how do they taste? He goes, I don't know. We've never caught one. <laughs> I want to ask you, I want to ask you this morning, my kids even laughed at that. That's pretty good. <laughs> I want to ask you this morning, what's your three-legged chicken? And don't look at me shocked because you know what I'm talking about. We all have a three-legged chicken in our lives. We probably have more than one. Your three-legged chicken is whatever you love the most. It's whatever you're chasing after. Whatever you love the most it's what you're going to spend the most time and attention dedicated to. Whatever it is you love the most, whatever it is you're pursuing, is also eventually going to become your identity. And we know all about this, don't we? Whatever we love the most becomes our identity. You think about it with, with mothers. Most mothers love their children deeply. And we see it in their sacrifice and their selflessness. I read a story the other day about Princess Alice who lived... In the 1800s, Princess Alice had a little girl that was dying of diphtheria, and the doctors warned her, don't get too close to the little girl. If you breathe in her breath, you could get diphtheria and die as well. In her dying breath, the little girl said, Mommy, kiss me, and Princess Alice did, and she got diphtheria and passed away. But we understand the selflessness and the sacrifice of a mother. We understand the man that's dedicated to his truck. The man who loves his truck, right? The man who jacks it up and puts all the amenities on it. Don't you say anything. The guy, 
The guy that drives real slow down the road so that everybody can admire the beauty of his beast of a ride. We understand the person that loves their job, at least to some degree, that they dedicate their lives to doing the best that they can. Some even sacrifice their family and their, and, and, and their marriage so that they can give all their time and attention to their job. But we understand this pursuit of things that, that are not godly. What's your three-legged chicken? This can get sort of tricky because there are things that we understand are not healthy to pursue. Again, job, money, those kind of things. But there are certain things that we love with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength that are good things. My, my wife, my, my, my children, my mother, my father, the church. The Bible even talks about how we are to love those things, right? But here's the deal. None of those things trump God. God comes first, always, without a doubt. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, what commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, the foremost is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. It's almost as if they asked Jesus, what's your three-legged chicken? And he says, God. That's it. God comes first. And then he says, the second is this. Not the first, the second. Did you notice that? The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then to make sure everybody gets it, he says, there is no other commandment greater than these. When I listen to these words, you know what I hear? Love God more. That's it. That's, that's what I hear above all else. Love God more. No matter what we love in life, whether it's money, a job, or children, no matter what it is, love God more. Because the most loving thing you could ever do is to love God more. Even if you love your children and your spouse, and I hope you do, even if you love them deeply, you love them best when you love God the most. If you love God the most, you will love your neighbor the best. Jesus loves us with a love that is so great that it, it caused him to lay down his life for us, but he doesn't love us more than God. Don't get it twisted. He doesn't love us more than he loves the Heavenly Father. God came first in Jesus' life. God should come first in our life. And if he does, I promise you, nothing else in your life is going to suffer. Here's the deal. Whatever you love the most is what will define you. And here's what Jesus said about love and identity. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Unfortunately, something that I see far too often is Christians not loving as they should. Maybe not responding in a loving manner. We have too many Christian heathens, folks. Too many Christians that are reacting on social media, sharing that post that may be vulgar, but hey, it's the truth. No, no, you don't share that stuff. I don't care if it is online. You don't gossip. You don't share things that are untrue. The way we react to certain things in life, to the world around us. So many times, the way we react is unethical and immoral and unchristlike. And I'm tired of it. We should be above the phrase, folks. 
At some point, we have to understand that the world is always going to be the world. I get it. We need to stand up and we need to, yeah, I, I get it. But at some point, you got to turn off Fox News and turn off CNN and get out there and seek and save the lost because that's your job. That's your mission, right? Listen, every 11 seconds in America, someone dies. How many of them are going to meet the Lord unprepared? So while you're aggravated and riled up, meanwhile, the lost are still lost. And what are you going to do about it? This is what happens when we allow a love for anything else to be supreme. Have you noticed how often love becomes distorted and diseased when something other than God consumes us? Have you noticed that? Love ends up devolving into whatever we personally desire it to be. Most of the time it becomes selfish. Love gets reduced to a feeling or love becomes a substitute for lust. I'll give you an example, a real-life example, true story. A man leaves his wife and children for another woman. The, the other woman leaves her, her husband and her children for this man, and they come and talk to the preacher about him doing the marriage ceremony because they want to get married, and the preacher asks them about their background and finds out the story and talks to them, and they get very angry because God sanctioned David and Bathsheba's marriage even though there was adultery. God certainly sanctions ours, but that's what happens when, when we allow an anarchy of love. When it devolves into whatever I desire it to be or some sort of feeling, there's heartbreak and, and there's confusion. It's because we live in this anarchy of love. Someone, I don't remember who, gave three categories to love. And the first is if love. I will love you if you treat me like royalty. I will love you if you take good care of me. I will love you if you don't do something dumb. The second is because love. I love you because you're pretty. I love you because you're handsome. I love you because you do nice things for me. I love you because you take care of me. Then you have in spite of love. I love you in spite of your failures. I love you in spite of your faults. I love you in spite of the way you treat me. Which one of these sounds most like Jesus and the love that he has for sinners? I look at this and I think about the movie Crocodile Dundee. You ever seen that movie? This guy from the outback of Australia comes to New York City. It's a fish out of water story. And he's in New York City with this reporter and some street gang thugs come up to him and they're going to rob him and take his wallet. And they pull out a knife and he goes, that's not a knife. And he pulls out this really long knife. This is a knife. You remember that? I picture that scene, I picture Jesus going, that's not love, this is love. I picture Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 saying, that's not love, this is love. It's a love that does not keep a record of wrongs. It's a love that does not brag. It's a, it's a love that is, that is kind. It is a love that endures. It is a love that never fails. When we consider what Jesus did for us in spite of our sin, in spite of the cost, in spite of the pain, it should cause us to pause and consider what kind of love we are displaying. And in spite of love is the type of love that is manifested in our hearts for those who hold Jesus in highest esteem. The problem with if and because love is that when the basis for these types of love cease, well then it dies. Romans 5, for while we were still helpless... At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though for perhaps 
the good man, someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When did Jesus die? I'm not asking for a day and time. When did Jesus die for us? I think this passage answers those questions for us. We might ask it another way. What were you like when Christ died? And you might respond, well, I wasn't even alive, but you'll set that aside for a moment. I'm not talking chronologically. What kind of persons did Jesus die for? Look with me. Christ died when we were powerless. Christ died when we were ungodly. Christ died when we were sinners. Christ died when we were enemies of God. When did Jesus die? At just the right time. At precisely the right time is when he died for us. When we were at the point of deepest need, when we were the most desperate. If Christ had waited, if he had waited until we got our act together, if he had waited until we crossed every T and dotted every I, he'd still be waiting, wouldn't he? He didn't wait. He died at exactly the right time. When we were yet hostile towards him, when we were rebellious towards him, when we were shaking our fist in open defiance towards God is when Christ died for us. We understand how someone might die for a righteous person. We might understand how, you know, I read a story about this Navy SEAL who was on a rooftop in Baghdad and he was standing there with, uh, with three of his other fellow soldiers and a grenade comes out of nowhere, hits him in the chest and falls on the rooftop. And without even thinking, he jumps on top of it and saves his fellow men. I admire that. That's a sacrifice like no other. He did that for his brothers. I can understand that. Can you imagine dying the cruelest death for people that don't even love you? For people that don't even care anything for you? For the very people who are killing you? Dying for the people who are driving the nails? Can you imagine that? And you say, well, Chris, I'm not Jesus. So, and that's what we do. We often aim too low. We say, well, I'm not a perfect person like Jesus was. He's so far above me. Paul is so far above me. So many other people in Scripture are so far above me, I could never attain that height. And so, therefore, we don't even try. Let me ask you this. When you read the Bible, do you read it with appreciation or application? Because you should be reading it with application. It's great that you appreciate it, but when you read about Moses being the humblest person on the face of the earth, do you say, well, that's great. I mean, what a humble guy. Or do you say, no, I want to be like Moses. I want to be the most humble person on the face of the earth. When you read about Gideon being a valiant warrior, do you say, I want to be a valiant warrior. I want to be that for God. When you read about David being a man after God's own heart, do you say, what did that take? What did that look like? Because I want to be a man after God's own heart. And when you read about Jesus and his teachings, you say, you know what? I want to be as a disciple of Jesus just like him because we've talked about this a lot lately. To be a student of a rabbi, to be a disciple of a rabbi meant that you were trying to be exactly like the rabbi. You were trying to be his clone. I want to be a clone of Jesus, right? I want to be just like the rabbi because what he says and does is perfect. I want to be as close to him as I possibly can be. Read the Bible with application, not just appreciation. But the problem is that we often aim too low, and at some point, we all jump off the train. You ever watch these action movies where the hero and the villain are fighting on a train? And it always ends up on the roof of the train, doesn't it? I don't know why, but they always end up on the roof of the train. 
and the villain has his back to the front of the train. The hero is facing the front of the train as they're fighting on the roof of this train. And what happens? Inevitably, there's a tunnel coming up or something. And right at the last minute, the hero sees it and jumps off or lays down on his stomach and the tunnel gets the bad guy. As Christians, it seems like we all jump off the train at some point. Some of us don't make it very far down the tracks before we jump off. We're too selfless, or selfish, I should say. We can't see past our own nose. We're too petty. We jump off right at the beginning because love is a transaction. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. And as soon as you stop doing that, then I'm done. I'm jumping off the train. Some rely on a feeling. They may go down the tracks a little further, but they rely on a feeling. And they say things like, well, I'm just in love with this person, which suggests that you could be out of love with a person, right? We have this idea that love is something that you fall in and out of. That It's a virus that you catch and you can't control it. Teenagers often talk about the butterflies in their stomach. And that's certainly a byproduct of being in love, right? But it can also be indigestion, so you better be careful. Love is not something that you fall in and out of. It's not some virus that you catch against your will. Some follow the train really far down the tracks. They seem to be all in, but it's only because their family or their friends are who they're tied to. They love them so much that they give sacrificially and selflessly. But when it comes to loving your enemies... When it comes to going the extra mile, when it comes to turning the other cheek, well, that's a different story. Look, my friends, your agenda isn't as important as you think it is. I'm sorry to break that to you. But all too often, we consider our agenda to be so important, it's not near as important as you think it is. You've got to set yourself aside and your agenda aside and say, who am I living for? Who identifies me? What is my identity wrapped up in? Is it a job or is it more than that? Is it money or is it more than that? Real love, the love that we read about in the Bible is about character, not emotion. It's who we are, not just what we do. It's not a feeling, it's a livelihood. I got to tell you, I take issue with the phrase unconditional love. I can't stand that phrase because it insinuates that there's a kind of love that is conditional and that's just not so. The only kind of love that is truly love is unconditional in nature. It's inherent within the word. There is no such thing as conditional love. Because if somebody only loves you because you love them back, they don't really love you. If somebody only loves you because you give them certain things, they don't really love you. If somebody only loves you because you perform certain things for them, maybe you're a nice guy or girl, maybe you're somebody who gives them nice things, maybe you're someone who who, uh, does certain tasks that makes them happy, if that's the only reason they love you, then they don't really love you. And it's a red flag if somebody has a if love or because love. It's a red flag that they don't really love you. The only kind of love that means anything, and the love that we find defined in the Bible, is agape love. And it is absolutely 100% unconditional. You don't even have to have the adjective in front of it. 1 John 4, starting in verse 7, says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, that we loved God, but that He loved us, Not that we love God, I should say, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. What do you notice here? Well, you notice that love comes from somewhere, doesn't it? Love has a source. What is it? It is God. He is the source of love. Love begins somewhere. It began with God, which means that it didn't begin with us. It began with God. Anytime you doubt that, just look at the cross. The cross is the greatest example of God's love. But also, love goes somewhere. If God so loved us, if, did you catch that if? If God so loved us, what's the point of if? What is it pointing to? It's pointing to us. Because God loves us, we are to love others. We are to reciprocate that love back to God and to the people around us. Look, if I could give you one challenge this morning, if I could sum up the lesson like this, I would say, don't be a dead end. Don't let love end with you. I live on a cul-de-sac, and I rather like it because I've lived on a main thoroughfare, and I didn't really like that. I like living on a cul-de-sac because nobody comes down our street unless they intend to come down our street. But the thing about cul-de-sacs is they're a dead end. Don't be a spiritual cul-de-sac. Don't let love end with you. Don't be a dead end to this love that God has so richly bestowed upon us, right? I like the way uh, Brent Kofer put it in one of his classes recently. He said, can you imagine being so absorbed by the image, mindset, and motives of Christ that you act like him without having to think about it? Bingo, Brent, that's it. How much better off would it be if we all could be so absorbed and so consumed that it just was naturally who we are and we didn't even have to think about it? That should be the goal. To be so consumed with Christ that love is just a reflexive response. So I have a closing illustration. Uh, I'm really disappointed because I tried to find a three-legged chicken. I thought that would be great for a closing illustration. But I have, I have a container here. And this is really a pretty easy illustration, but hopefully you get the idea. And with this container, I've got some things that I want to put in there. I've got some rocks, two rocks really, and I've got some rice. And you might can see I've labeled the rocks. So the labels on the rocks are God and Jesus. You actually could probably say God and Jesus on one rock and maybe church on the other, however you want to do it. But the idea is we want to be able to fit the two rocks and the rice, which represents everything else in your life, okay? We want to be able to fit all those contents in the container and lock down the lid, okay? So you want to fit God and Jesus and everything else in the container, which the container represents your life. You want to fit all that in there and be able to close the lid. How's that going to happen? How do you do that? What did you say, Eddie? Yeah, I think you're probably going to have to put the rocks in first, right? So we put the rocks in. What happens if you put the rice in first? Anybody have a crocodile Dundee knife? We can open this? No? What happens if you put the rice in first? Yeah, it's probably not going to fit, right? So, thankfully, I didn't get the two-pound bag of rice. You pour it all in. And if this doesn't work, Kevin, sing the invitation. We'll get out of here. There we go. The idea being, I don't care whatever else you have in life that you 
that you dedicate yourself to. I don't care whatever else it is in life that you admire, that you desire, whatever it is. Even if it's good things. Even if it's, you know, your children or your spouse or the church. All good things. you got to fit the two biggest rocks in first. They've always got to come first. And here's the deal. If those two big rocks come first, nothing in your life's going to suffer. Not a single thing. Because you love others best when you love God the most, right? So try telling your spouse, I love you, but I don't love you more than God. Try telling your children, I love you, but you come third. God's first, then my spouse, then you. And I guarantee you, your spouse nor your children are going to suffer because you love others best when you love God the most. Can we help you this morning? You need the prayers of this church family? Would you like to begin studying the Bible with someone? Are you ready to begin a daily walk with God by putting on Christ in baptism? Whatever your need is, why don't you come as we stand and as we sing?